The summer heat is one of the causes for why ducks and geese are dying at area ponds. When birds die, um, they'll have some level of toxin. And when maggots grow in the decomposing bird, they pick up that botulism toxin. And then other birds consume the maggots, um, get sick, and that's how the outbreak can perpetuate. On today's show, we hear from a wildlife veterinarian who explains why botulism is suspected in regional water bodies and how that is impacting waterfowl. With what COVID did to everybody, especially our seniors, um, getting them back out of the house and, and into healthy you know, activity and hanging with each other and, you know, socializing and all that, that is, you you can't buy that with Mm -hmm. dollars, you know, you just cannot. We also hear from an advocate for local senior citizens. She said people were taken by surprise when they learned that the city of Reno was making plans to lease out a senior gathering space to a local nonprofit. For This Week in Reno News, I am Bob Conrad with ThisIsReno.com. Thank you for listening to the show on KWNK Community Radio at 97.7 FM or on your favorite podcast app. Please visit us online at ThisIsReno.com to get the latest news and events coverage for the greater Reno area. Nevada faculty recently submitted a letter to the new chancellor of Nevada's higher education system. They said campus presidents are not getting the regular evaluations that the public deserves. So the Board of Regents and the Chancellor's Office received a letter from the Nevada Faculty Alliance expressing their opinion about when periodic evaluations of presidents should take place, um, particularly if a president has his or her contract extended. I spoke with Acting Chancellor Dale Urquiaga to get his response to the letter. Presidents typically have a contract for about four years. Um, There have been instances in the last couple of years where a year has been added on. um, And that's pursuant to board policy that's allowable. The contracts can be extended in that way. And so the Faculty Alliance has really expressed an opinion on how that was done in the past. And the way I look at it, provided a statement for what they'd like to see in the future. Okay, and you see, you've twice now said it's their opinion. Are, are you saying that you don't agree with their assessment? So the board that- policy, yeah, sure. The board policy requires a periodic evaluation of the president and allows for contract extensions. So when that periodic evaluation takes place is typically triggered by the end of the contract. But if the contract is extended, it's my understanding that the policy um, interpretation has been internally that the evaluation waits until the year before the contract extends. The language does not include, currently in policy, a statement such as at least every four years. Um, That's something that could be added. And as we look at all of these policies, part of my job as chancellor is to do so, we'll certainly look at that. I appreciate the information and um, have taken it, you know, um, in the spirit that I think it's offered. We didn't like the way this was handled. Please handle it differently in the future. So, As we come into a season of periodic evaluations, which we will do next year, uh, a number of our president's contracts expire in 24. So I'm sure the board will take this um, into consideration. So this is something the board would have to change, essentially. If if the policy were to be changed, it's a board policy, yes. So uh, the board received the letter. And as I say, we're coming into presidential evaluation season next year. There are five or six presidents, I think, 
whose contracts will expire in 24. So as we go into that process, the board could direct the chancellor, whether that is me or a new chancellor, to change when the periodic um, evaluations are done, or the policy could be revised if we find other concerns. So certainly we'll take a look at that. Um, I don't have to make decisions about periodic evaluations until sometime I think in the second quarter of next year, so um, that's April, May, June of 23. So we have time to look at it all. And again, I appreciate the letter. Sure. And you mentioned a couple presidents. The only one I saw mentioned was GBC uh, in that letter. Mm -hmm. So the letter mentions that GBC, was, uh, the president of GBC, President Helens, received an extension last year. But if I'm correct and remember, I knew, um, I think President Johnson contract was extended during the pandemic, and I believe President Patterson's contract was extended as well Okay. when he was stepping down from um, Nevada State College. So it's not unheard of that this is done, as it was explained to me by staff. It was done this year for President Helens. So again, um, I'm sort of in this situation where I won't revisit actions that were done in the past. I'm going to take the information um, on a face value of making a contribution to the betterment of the system, and we'll discuss this with the board as we get into 2023. Waterfowl have been dying at area ponds, causing concerns among residents. A This Is Reno reader contacted us about the situation. I spoke with a wildlife veterinarian, Nate LaHue, who's with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. Here is Nate. Yeah, so we've had... Uh, multiple reports of uh, mostly duck and goose mortalities um, in multiple urban ponds around Reno. Um, we have confirmed botulism type C um, in a pond near the South Meadows Parkway. It's an unnamed pond. Um, we're currently undergoing testing for some additional ponds um, up in Sparks and uh, North of north of 80, um, and then we have additional reports from Virginia Lakes, and I think an additional and yeah, an additional some small additional ponds that are either on uh, kind of private property or are around some of the warehouse um, buildings in South Reno of either dead birds or birds exhibiting signs consistent with uh, botulism. Okay, and what ponds are those? Lake Park, Paradise, and Paradise Park. Okay, and those, but those are not confirmed. Those are not confirmed. No. Okay, but the the signs you're seeing point toward avian botulism. The signs that are, you know, I I um that are reported to us by the public and that our urban wildlife person has observed, head droop, um, inability to fly, um are consistent with botulism, given that we've also diagnosed botulism in South Reno. Uh, the conditions uh, in those ponds are similar. Um, we do have, I wouldn't say regular, but we, we've had frequent, somewhat frequent botulism outbreaks in Reno over the years. Um, so it's not an uncommon thing to happen uh, this time in the summer. So you, you say over the years, um, how often are, are we, does this happen? Every year? It doesn't. Every... The last 
you know, reported outbreak that we diagnosed was 2020. We didn't have any in 2021. We did diagnose it in 2020 in Virginia Lakes. Um, and there were so, some other ponds at that time, I believe, that had some, a few dead birds or signs consistent, but viable samples were never obtained from those ponds. Um, you know, they got to be somewhat fresh birds uh, in order to, to do the testing. We didn't have any reported last year. There's probably frequently some small level of botulism mortality that occurs that just is not, doesn't rise to the level that the public notices. Um, but yeah, 2020 was our last last um, known outbreak. Well, why is this happening? Why does this happen? Yeah, so it happens uh, because of how the pond system, you know, all of our urban ponds and the kind of the ecology of our urban ponds. So botulism type C or any botulism is a clostridial bacteria um, that produces a toxin uh, when it reproduces. And it only reproduces really under anaerobic conditions. And so what happens is through, and it's a soil-borne bacteria. So areas, you know, it's normally in the soil, but areas that you have had previous outbreaks, you're going to have a higher soil load um, than areas where there hasn't been an outbreak before. Um, and basically what happens is when um, you get reproduction of that bacteria through anaerobic conditions, and that toxin uh, is reproduced in the environment. Um, when birds die, um, they'll have some level of toxin. And when maggots grow um, in, and, and, you know, in, the, in the decomposing bird, they pick up uh, that botulism toxin. And then other birds consume the maggots, um, get sick, and that's how the outbreak can perpetuate. It's the consumption of maggots, additional birds dying. They decompose under anaerobic conditions with maggot growth. Those birds are consumed. So, um, you know, all birds probably have some small level of botulism spores within their liver, um, but, you know, it reaches a point where you get an outbreak during. And the anaerobic conditions, you know, you have a lot of growth, um, and, and, and they reproduce more, too, under anaerobic conditions than warm temperatures. So we have, you know, warm temperatures, um, and that what that does is a couple things. One is it, the warmer the temperature, the lower the dissolved oxygen in a body of water is going to be, the less oxygen that can be dissolved in that water. Um, you know, the colder the water, the higher dissolved, the higher, uh, the more oxygen can be dissolved in that water. Um, two, we get warm temperatures leading to algal growth. And when the algae die, the decomposition of that algae also, you know, uses the decomposition process Whenever you have any, you know, algaes kind of happen specifically now, but any dead vegetation when it's decomposing uses oxygen. So it can use up oxygen during that. And then we also have low flows. Low flows lead to warmer water. It leads to stagnant water. You know, so turnover of water, aeration of water, water moving in is all sources that are going to bring cooler, high, more oxygenated water into a pond. And so what we have in a lot of these urban areas is these warm, Shallow ponds, lots of algae growth, little water movement, you know, high amount of duck feces, so a lot of nitrogen, algal growth, and it just sets up this kind of perfect condition for botulism to grow and an outbreak to occur. Um, so does that does that answer that question for you? Yeah. 
Yeah, it does. Uh, so basically what I'm understanding is that um, increased water flow would have prevented this, but some of these ponds don't have a lot of water flow. Is there a reason for that? Oh, you know, I'm not familiar with the ins and outs of all the ponds. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, the Truckee Meadows was historically, you know, a marshy wetland that's always had a slow moving water towards the Truckee. And we've turned that into, you know, little urban cemented in urban ponds that are shallow, that don't have shade cover. So they're getting hotter. You know, they don't have adequate water flow. I mean, the drought certainly plays a role, but a lot of it's, you know, the construction of these ponds, you know, historically wasn't necessarily meant to uh, mimic, you know, a, a natural ecosystem. They're meant to be, you know, nice ponds for people to walk around. And so, um, or they're meant to, you know, house stormwater runoff or things like that. Um, and so there's, yeah, a lot of it's just how they were constructed. There's low water flow. There's, you know, kind of this um, cemented in things that create more warmth. Uh, there's not the normal reed cover that might provide some shade and some cooling. And, you know, we have hotter temperatures. We have a drought. Um, all, And then we have a lot of congregation of birds. We have fertilizer use, you know, on all those green spaces, which runs off, creates algal blooms and then the subsequent anaerobic conditions from algal dye. So all of those kind of lead to that situation, you know, it's, it, where, I mean, not to say that there aren't botulism outbreaks in natural ecosystems. There certainly are and they happen. Um, you know, out of still water, we always have some level of small numbers of animals that die from botulism. So I know that we're on a, a flyway for uh, bird, bird species. Is there any concern that this could impact um rare, endangered, otherwise species of concern? Um, you know, potentially, but it's it's honestly in the grand scheme of things, it's a small, it's very small outbreak um, here in Reno. Um, one is we're still in the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the birds hanging around here are resident birds. Often by the time uh, the main migration comes through, the and this doesn't always happen, but you, we may see that the the weather's cooled off and those those botulism outbreaks have gone away with cooler weather and and less reproduction of the bacteria. So far, every report we're getting is mallards and Canada geese. So you know, not species of concern. Generally, resident species or not resident species, excuse me. But the birds that are around here in the summer are resident birds. They're they're not migratory birds. Right. Okay. Um, so you're talking about water conditions that are not essentially healthy for for birds. Uh, what what are the concerns for humans? Um, you know, we, obviously, it, you know, um, there's as far as botulism goes, um, you know, it is a disease that you get by consuming it. So there's, um, you know, unless somebody was to go out and eat a botulism, in, you know, infected bird, which I don't know that anybody would want to go do that. They Most people would want to go, you know, if they're out in the fall, even, you know, duck hunting, then they want healthy flying birds. Um, so I, I, that's that being said, with algal blooms, the high nitrogen, you can, you can get blue-green algae outbreaks. I don't 
you know, it certainly just lead to kind of unhealthy water conditions. Um, the congregation of too many birds can also um, lead to a parasite that causes swimmer's itch if people went in the water. Um, and, and so, you know, we definitely advise people, you know, don't go in the water when you see dead birds. You know, don't handle dead or sick birds. Or if you do, you know, you have a pond that you're disposing of, you know, wear gloves, use a trash bag, those kind of things to prevent exposure to yourself. Anything else you want to add? I mean, it sounds like this will disappear once the temperatures cool a bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it should go away once the temperature cools. I mean, for those that own, you know, private ponds where they can, they can um, they can definitely help the situation by um, and prevent future outbreaks or help decrease the chance of future outbreaks by adding aerators to the pond. So I know Virginia Lakes has tried to do that, um, you know, so for some of these HOAs and, and things like that with these private ponds, definitely, you know, improving water quality management, include, you know, improving things um, and then improving aeration of the system will help prevent future outbreaks and can reduce the severity of the outbreak. I would say that's the, ma the main thing I would just, uh, recommend and then I would just tell people yeah don't handle dead birds hopefully this will go away um, or it should go away once cooler weather prevails so basically you've got one confirmed at the South Meadows Pond and suspected at Paradise and uh, I suspect that's what's going on with every place I've had calls about I've had calls on some multiple different private areas kind of in South South and Metro, Virginia, Reno. Lake, in I would assume so that one, yeah, I mean, we've had concerns from the public about dead or sick birds, but when our our urban wildlife person's gone out there, they haven't located any, so I'm not sure if they've been cleaned up or if people mistook that. So that one I'm we haven't gotten any samples from because our, our urban wildlife person's been, been out there a couple times and hasn't hasn't uh, found any birds that are consistent with botulism. There may be, I mean, there's always going to be, you have the huge congregation of birds that's in these ponds. There's you know, always going to be a one or two dead ones, right, um, just with the number of birds um, that you have. So that the Virginia Lakes, I, I suspect that may be going on there. We've had a history of it there, um, but we haven't gotten any carcasses or, or clinical signs observed by any of our staff to confirm that, whereas Paradise Park, Lake Park, it, a little more consistent, um, and I suspect and we've had carcasses from there that we're sending off for testing. So. Soon, you know, I, I, but I would suspect that, you know, with the number of reports I'm getting around across from, across Reno, that you know we have quite a few number of small botulism outbreaks just in our ponds. You know, don't obviously let your pets like consume birds or come in contact with that. And you know, kind of our our advice, you know, that we go with that we kind of give to the public about wildlife mortalities um, and second dead wildlife. Um, you know, holds true here, just like with everything else, which is, you know, don't let your pets come in contact with sick or dead wildlife. You know, don't come in contact with sick or dead wildlife. If you need to move it or throw it away, use gloves, wash your hands, um, all those kind of good hygiene practices. Um, if, you know, if there's water doesn't look so good, a, high, a lot of birds in there that stay out of the water, keep your pets out of the water, that kind of thing. So pretty poor water quality in a lot of these lakes a lot of these ponds. So, I mean, I think people kind of especially look at a lot of these ponds and when there's a high bird contact, they kind of know, you know, hey, that doesn't look so good. When, so when the water quality looks pretty questionable, then, yeah, I would tell them 
yeah, you probably don't want to have your pets drinking out of that either. Okay. But not Very just good. from a botulism standpoint, but from just a general health standpoint. Donna Klontz has been a longtime advocate for seniors in the Reno area, and she recently sent a press release to the news media. She said that seniors were outraged at the city of Reno. I asked her about what happened. The building that's called the Teglia's Paradise Park Activity Center has been a senior activity place since about 1997. And it's a a small building that's located um, in the city's Paradise Park. It's across the street from Bernice Matthews. Um, and it it has about 1,500 uh, senior residents living right around it nearby, um, and they're the ones that can walk over to, to go to exercise class or play uh, beanbag baseball or play cards or do some other, other kinds of fun activities and hang out with their friends and have a cup of coffee and that kind of thing. Um, well, we found out uh, a few days before the 16th of August that the city of Reno is planning to lease wants well they want to lease the building to a nonprofit here in town um, and how did how did you how did you come to find that out had nobody not communicated with you or that is right um the whole senior community was pretty much taken by surprise um it 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 had to go on a public uh agenda for the Reno uh commission um recreation and parks commission and so they're they're a group of appointed folks that give advice to city council about the parks, the recreation and parks programs. So something like this goes on their agenda before it can go to council, and they give a recommendation. Mm-hmm. So it appeared on the on that, their agenda for the 16th of August uh, for a meeting at six o'clock in the evening, and. I didn't even find out about it till that day. Someone called me and said, "Do you know that this is happening?" I said, "What?" So I I was on Zoom uh to to watch it cuz I had COVID at the time and I couldn't go. <laughs> so, oh no. Yeah, so it was it was light COVID. It was just a bad cold kind of COVID. Anyway, I'm done and I'm healthy again and anyway. So so um what I was told by the other the other seniors is that somehow they found out about it just a few days before the meeting and they rallied as many folks as they could get to show up at in person at the um at the at this commission meeting and was over at McKinley Park and they filled the room. They had to actually move it into the into the um auditorium instead of the little room that they usually use because they had, you know, about ninety ninety folks come um in protest and um about thirty of them made public comment to say, please don't do this. This is this place means a lot to us and and uh, you know all the reasons why it 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 is a, a a great place for for the seniors that live around there and even who come from other parts of town. Your news release noted that uh, the facility costs seventy thousand dollars a year to run, mm-hmm. but because of the pandemic, nobody was using it, and now they're saying because of lack of use, that's why they're going to maybe yeah. lease it out to this nonprofit. Is that yep. correct? That's correct. It's a little there's a little more to it. Um there before COVID, the Paradise Park had about, I don't know, sixteen, seventeen different activities that happened throughout the day. It was pretty pretty packed, pretty busy place. And there were nearly ten thousand um folks a year that were in and out of that building using the using the you know, participating in the programs inside. It isn't it doesn't have 
tennis courts or basketball courts or pickleball or space or any of that. It's just a big, it's one big room. So it can't really take on a lot more of the active things that go on at the other recreation centers like Evelyn Mount or Neil Road. It was it was pretty busy before COVID and then COVID happened and they shut shut the building down and it was the last one of the facilities that they decided to open back up again. And when they opened it up, they only put they only allowed like six activities again. So they cut they slashed the programs drastically. Um, so that's one of the reasons that there aren't a lot of numbers to count. But the seniors that go there, um, you know, are are there in in pretty good numbers considering it was like two thirds of the two thirds of the programs and about two thirds of the of the the old numbers are still showing up. And the other part about the seventy thousand, which I didn't know that Jamie Jamie uh, Schroeder, who I typoed in that first release. I, I know someone named Rodriguez. I don't know that. Happened. Anyway, Jamie told everybody that it costs about 70000 because somebody asked, you know, what, you know, what, what does it cost and what's this lease likely to be? And um, they said they hadn't worked the details out yet of the lease, but she said 70, 70K. The people that, that go to Paradise Park are, um, many of them are low income. And during just before COVID, the the um, the, the Rec and Park folk created a, a a free pass for people that are low income to go to a lot of programs that that they pay nothing for. They 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 qualify for the pass and they 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 have the cost. And that is what a lot of our seniors that go to Paradise Park go there. It's free to them. They don't pay they don't pay a dime, which is the reason it was created that way to encourage folks to come and do recreation and socialize uh, even if they don't have much money um, which is wonderful it's a great it's a great thing but that means paradise has got very little income because a lot of their play the people that go there don't have to pay anything and the others that do pay it's only like two bucks instead of the costs of the other rec centers which are lots of different programs and there's a lot more cost. So they can they can naturally bring in a lot more money. So it's it's apples and oranges. You can't compare that um you know that that whatever the income turns out to be. So we disputed that at the meeting. One of the um uh members of the commission actually is somebody who spends time at Paradise Park and, and knew that the numbers were were um you know, he brought in the numbers that that are the correct ones, and so that there was a dispute between what the what the staff was saying and then what the the this commissioner had gotten um, some some better info. So that was one of the reasons that the that the rec commission decided to postpone their their decision to get more public input and also to you know find out what the right numbers are. One of the things I learned from being, you know, kind of involved in this stuff for a while is that recreation programs are not even expected to bring in the full um, cost right. in revenue that they that it costs because it's a public service. And I think senior programs are only supposed to have to bring in, and this is from from a consultant's report a few years ago. I think it was like 25 percent is mm-hmm. is kind of looked at as, you know, you aim for that. But if you don't get it, you know. You're still doing your public service, and you got to take into account your community and stuff like that. I don't know if it was misleading, but it certainly doesn't jive with what we we knew was was true. Um, and so after the meeting, I know that um, staff from from Rec and Parks 
started checking further into it. So I don't know what the final outcome is going to be on the numbers, but um, the staff, the, the the gal who's the rec leader at Paradise Park, kept very good records of you know the numbers of folks that were in in there for what um, activities, and the, they had to turn in the money every day for the you know or every every few days uh, to the you know to to get it on the books. So they knew mm-hmm. how much money they brought in, and they also knew, you know, who, how many were coming for what um, what activities because they have people sign in when they come in. So they kept right. most of them. <laughs> they and so, what, them. so they've got records of Paradise Park's actual use usage. And it's yeah. way more than what they were reporting, and it, they made it they made it sound like it was underutilized, and and that it would be better better served to the you know to the community at large to have that building, you know, bring in. That you know better revenue, which you know you can you weigh that in. That makes that you know that's a it's a public policy kind of thing. But to me, you can't you can't forget that it's serving a huge community right nearby. And with what COVID did to everybody, especially our seniors, um, getting them back out of the house and and into healthy you know act, activity and hanging with each other and you know socializing and all that. That is you, know, you can't buy that. With mm-hmm. dollars, <laughs> you know, you just cannot. I am a senior, and I am a private citizen, and I care about things like this. So, well, yeah. thanks a lot, Bob. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate how, you know, how closely you're following everything and everybody. So, Oh, thank you. I, I rely on tips quite a bit. Yeah, so, great. Well, um, thanks for thank the attention on this one. <laughs> we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, this is exactly kind of the story that we like to follow because it's, yeah. it's local, it's relevant yeah. to a large group of people yeah. and um, yeah. that's that's usually sort of our criteria for stories. The city decided after news media coverage of the situation to change its mind and not pursue the lease. That's it for this week in Reno News. Please give the show a review on your favorite podcast app and visit us online at thisisreno.com.